0: Coming to you from a cozy little condo, high atop old Fourth Ward, Atlanta. Welcome, Welcome to The Ron Show on America One Radio. Here's your host, Ron Roberts. All right, and a happy Monday to you. Welcome to The Ron Show. And then there were, well, I guess three. You have to count on, well, do you have to? Okay, so we have three candidates on the left, sort of. But really only one. And that would be the incumbent, Joe Biden, who, along with Vice President Kamala Harris, are the de facto nominee team for the Democratic National Committee. By the way, Vice President Kamala Harris gave remarks earlier today in Wisconsin on the anniversary of the Roe v. Wade decision 55 or sorry, 51 years ago, and we'll have that for you in the second half of the show. On the other side. got Biden-Harris on one side. On the other side, you have Donald Trump with his yet-to-be-named vice presidential ticket mate. Although he said that that person he has decided on, he's just not ready to announce yet. Ron DeSantis dropped out. (laughs) I don't know why. I'm thinking money. But he dropped out. I also think that Ron DeSantis realizes that, and you could just tell, like he really never wanted to go hard for President Donald Trump. Anecdotally, you'd hear a lot of folks on the campaign trail, reporters, pundits, say that a lot of Trump voters, like Ron DeSantis, they just don't want to vote for him right now. essentially saying, hey, dude, chill. Your time will come in four years. We'll be all over you then. But right now, this is about Donald Trump. Nikki Haley's gone a little harder for Donald Trump. Although not full-on Chris Christie-like. Will that change? It'll be interesting to see. I, from someone who, I I hope anyway, has a firmer grasp on American history and its many racist footnotes, just find this all very interesting. Why? Why? Uh, Well, let's remember what Nikki Haley says about American history.
1: We're not a racist country, Brian. We've never been a racist country. Our goal is to make sure that today is better than yesterday. Are we perfect? No. I know I faced racism when I was growing up, but I can tell you today is a lot better than it was then.
0: Jake Tapper in a CNN town hall last Thursday gave her an opportunity to clean these remarks up. Protections for the institution of slavery were written into the U.S. Constitution. Yep. The White House was built with slave labor. Mm-hmm. Your home state of South Carolina seceded from the Union, fought a war to defend the enslavement of black people. Mm-hmm. Uh, I understand you don't think America is a racist country now, but we're here at a college. Do you really think, as a, as a historical matter, America has never been a racist country?
1: I mean, think about what you're saying. First of all, I will tell you, when you look at you know, the Declaration of Independence, it was that You know, men are created equal with unalienable rights, right? That was what we all knew. But what I look at it as is I was a brown girl that grew up in a small rural town. We had plenty of racism that we had to deal with. But my parents never said we lived in a racist country. And I'm so thankful they didn't. Because for every brown and black child out there, if you tell them they live or were born in a racist country, you're immediately telling them they don't have a chance. And my parents would always say, you may have challenges. And yes, there will be people who are racist, but that doesn't define what you can do in this country. And so I think it's important that we tell all kids, that look America is not perfect we have our stains we know that but our goal should always be to make today better than yesterday it's hugely important and that's the problem I have is we have too many people with this national self-loathing it is killing our country we have got to go back to loving America we are blessed because that little brown girl in that small rural town in South Carolina she grew up to become the first female minority governor in history she then went on to be UN ambassador, and now she's running for president of the United States. I want every brown and black child to see that and say, "No, I don't live in a country that was formed on racism. I live in a country where they wanted all people to be equal and to make sure that they had life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness."
0: Okay, but just to just to push back a bit, because I was a history major in New Hampshire. Um, you're talking about the ideals of America. But America was founded institutionally on many racist precepts, including slavery.
1: But when you look, it said all men are created equal. I think the intent, the intent was to do the right thing.
0: No, no, she's absolutely, absolutely wrong about that. The intent wasn't to do the right thing. In fact, anybody who studied American history, and I did in college, I'm after all, a 27-year sophomore at the University of Georgia. Anybody who attended college and sat in an American history class knows that the Constitution we revere wouldn't get ratified unless compromises were made to keep slavery intact. You couldn't get enough signatures from southern states on the U.S. Constitution to ratify it without keeping slavery in place. And by the way, it wasn't even a full day, wasn't even a full day after Nikki Haley says to Brian Kilmeade what she does about America not being a racist country that Donald Trump proved that in some high places and for some high ranking and well-heeled people, racism actually still is alive and well and put to use. Listen to this from CNN. That is Nikki Haley yesterday saying America has never been a racist country Less than 10 seconds later, in that same answer, here's what she said also.
1: I know. I faced racism when I was growing up. But I can tell you, today is a lot better than it was then.
0: Twelve hours after that, the current frontrunner for the party's nomination, Donald Trump, posted this on his social media platform. Quote, anyone listening to Nikki Nimrata Haley's whacked-out speech last night, those are his words, would think that she won the Iowa primary. Notably, Trump misspelled her name, her given name, uh,
2: And he posted that as well.
0: Well, a week ago, Trump amplified a post that insinuated Haley was ineligible to run because her parents were not citizens at the time of her birth. That, Mm. of course, is false. Unequivocally, Haley was born in South Carolina. But it's the dog whistles like this that are straight out of Trump's playbook. For years, he was full-on birther, probably still is, peddling the lie over and over that President Obama was not born in the U.S. and using his middle name for specific effect. President Barack Hussein Obama. It's no surprise that Joe Donnelly is holding a rally this weekend with Barack H. Obama. President Barack Hussein Obama. Barack Hussein Obama. Crooked Joe Biden and his boss, Barack Hussein Obama, did this to us. So can I just be honest? I lived in South Carolina when Nikki Haley first ran for governor, ran for re-election. And in both cases, I not only voted against her, but I, I aided campaigns who voted against her. In fact, I even pleaded with someone who was running against her in her first campaign. I pleaded with that candidate, dude, if you would embrace marriage equality, you'd get a bump in percentage points. And and I and he lost such a slim margin that that could have gone either way. It's just crazy. Uh, so obviously, it was before 2014. But but I have to be honest with you. I used to point out to folks who bristled at the notion that the party that she was aligned with and running for in their uniform. I used to I used to tell whole time it's a racist country. It just makes no sense how Nikki Haley, whose real name is Nimrata, wants to play the "I'm not racist and this party's not racist" game when. Clearly, racism stirs the pot. And lo and behold, the leader of said party continues to use racist dog whistles, and now she's the target of them. And It's just going to be interesting to see how over the next few uh, days or if her campaign last weeks or months even, how she chooses to or chooses not to point that out. I will say... <laughs> It's kind of fascinating to watch as all the major political players in the South Carolina GOP have essentially turned their backs on her. She put Tim Scott in the Senate seat that he now holds. And yes, he's won a re-election to it, but he wouldn't have been in it in the first place were it not for Governor Nikki Haley. Who did Tim Scott endorse over the weekend? Donald Trump. Again, (laughs) who it's hard to ignore has some pretty racist tendencies. Okay, so now here we are, and I think still with time left on the clock in the game here, here we are with the two-person race that establishment Republicans, the Liz Cheney types, who wanted somebody, anybody other than Donald Trump to be their nominee, here's their opportunity to get behind a candidate that can take him out. Now, will the voters respond to that? I don't know. At the end of the day, you have to remember, Donald Trump won not just the GOP nomination, but the U.S. presidency in 2016 on a shoestring budget. When you compare it to the campaign budgets of past major presidential candidates. So money doesn't solve everything here. It's a culture rot, actually, on that side of the aisle. That's the problem. This is my routine reminder that I am a residential realtor here in Metro Atlanta. You can build the nicest house you want on swampy land with a faulty foundation. I mean, McMansion. Grandiose, marvelous, in fact, the heavier it is, the worse your problem is going to be. You can build that fantastic house, that fabulous McMansion, on swamp and a faulty foundation, and it's going to crumble onto itself. The GOP has saving graces that keeps them relevant. Otherwise, they would crumble onto themselves. They have the basis of a U.S. Senate built on human-made lines, for the most part. Dividing us into 50 unequal parts, but each of the 50 getting two representatives in that chamber. The GOP has at their disposal in most of the states in this country the process of redistricting where they can gerrymander representation. They have the Electoral College, which is essentially using both of those chambers and their faults to devise how each state gets to be proportionalized when it comes to choosing the president of the United States. And the other thing the GOP has at their advantage is that their opposition party is made up of a patchwork of voters with different passions and causes that all come together because their common opposition is the GOP that marginalizes them. And those of us on the left know by now, it ain't easy to get us all together or get us all excited or get us all on task Every two years, let alone every four, of all those GOP advantages, gerrymandering, the way the Senate's made up, the Electoral College, none of them can be addressed without the fourth advantage, the mosaic patchwork of the Democratic Party, solidifying for more than two to four year increments. I argue it needs to be eight. The American Revolution was eight years long, by the way. I think I pointed that out a couple weeks ago. And you'll hear me talk more about that at the end of the show as well. I also said months ago when Nikki Haley announced her candidacy, that to me, she was the candidate that I think frightened me the most because she can woo over some moderates. She has a softer tone when it comes to abortion. She's all for a national abortion ban, but also knows that it's never going to pass the Senate because it needs 60 votes. And she's happy that it's left to the states, but she's also sympathetic. Not that sympathy gets you much in Texas. But that softer tone will take some eyes off the prize if we're not excited about Biden and Harris. Now, anyway, I, I certainly hope Nikki Haley stays in this race long enough to do some damage to Donald Trump. But I'm going to enjoy watching this one way or the other. Just sit back and pop your popcorn and enjoy the show. Back after this, The Ron Show on the America One Radio app, AmericaOneRadio.com or wherever you podcast. Welcome back to The Ron Show for Monday the salacious story everybody in Georgia politics has been following has been a Cobb County divorce case. <laughs> Nathan and Joyce Lynn Wade, who none of us knew of before uh, a month ago, maybe le- actually less than that, less than a month ago, 2 3 weeks ago, we didn't know a Joyce Lynn Wade, and you'd really have to be dialed in on the Trump Fulton County case to even know who Nathan Wade was. We all know who they are now. Uh, anyway, uh, Fonnie had to get up early this morning and not go to the Fulton County Courthouse or her office to deal with any of her stack of cases. Now, she had to go to a courtroom and wait to find out if Cobb, Car- uh, Cobb County Superior Court Judge Henry Thompson was going to ask her to testify under her oath or be deposed to speak to the Wade's divorce. Tamar Hollerman, Bill Rankin at the AJC reporting about 345. Fulton County District Attorney Fannie Willis does not have to be deposed, at least not yet, in the divorce proceeding of the top prosecutor in her office's election interference case, according to Judge Henry Thompson. He put a temporary stay on a subpoena from the estranged wife's special prosecutor, Nathan Wade. Joyce and Wade's attorneys had accused Willis of being her husband's, quote, alleged paramour. They were seeking to depose Willis this week. And this is where it gets to what the intent was and even bringing Fonnie Willis into this divorce case. And I think no matter what happens from here on out, mission accomplished on that. It's to sully her name and to seek to discredit her and Nathan Wade, the special prosecutor, professionally, and their work on the Trump-Fulton County case. Back to the story here. The increasingly contentious divorce could have implications for Fulton County's sweeping racketeering prosecution of former President Donald Trump and his allies. Uh Thompson said Nathan Wade should first be deposed before he determines whether Willis possesses, quote, unique personal knowledge that would require her to be questioned under oath by attorneys for Joycelyn Wade. An evidentiary hearing in the divorce case is set for January 31st. He said, without me knowing what Mr. Wade would say, it seems to me that Mr. Wade would be the first and best source of information on what his income has been and how he's been spending it, and that he would have firsthand knowledge of whether he's engaged in an extramarital affair. By the way, Judge Thompson did unseal the Wade's divorce file, which includes financial statements and other records that had not been previously made public. Now I want to say I feel like we've discussed this about all we need to, but l- l- let me remind uh, everyone here in our conversation what this is all about. This again is is, is an opportunity to seek to discredit Fonnie Willis and the special prosecutor Nathan Wade and the work they've been doing on the Trump case. In fact, Ashley Merchant, who is Michael Roman, one of the co-conspirators, also indicted uh, with Mike, uh, with Donald Trump, uh, Ashley Merchant, that attorney, has raised these concerns that there's a conflict of interest. I would argue. That because they're actually on the same team, there isn't much conflict of interest. He's not the judge on the case or anything like that. It's not like she's whining and dining the judge. I will say, however, there are those who are concerned, as am I, honestly. I I just kind of think it's kind of silly that two grown adults as educated as they are and and have been as successful in their field as they are would not be wise enough to, uh, if they're going to have an aff- an affair or be dating, I should say, he is... Two years into a divorce, he should be kind of free to do what he wants, and she's a single woman, so she should be free to do what she wants. The problem I have is when they decide to go travel together, he buys airline tickets for her. He buys hotel stays for them to stay together, allegedly, all this allegedly, and then buys uh, a Royal Caribbean cruise for the two of them and his mother. Why'd you take your mother? Uh, I No, I get it. It's fun. It's fun to go with a, a group of people. Um... But my argument is, and I get it, if he did that while as an employer, as a special prosecutor for Fulton County, under her supervision, it does look bad. However, what if, and this is just supposition, and this would end it, this would end the conversation. What if she immediately repaid him? What if there is some sort of bank record, Venmo trail, cash app, whatever, that shows that, oh, thanks for getting that. And and Because it does make sense to buy your airline tickets together to buy your, you know, these things do make for easier purchases when purchasing in groups, right? If she is able to by February 2nd, when she's got to go before, I believe Scott McAfee, uh, Judge McAfee on this and go, there's my paperwork. See, I repaid him. He ordered our plane tickets and that's all fine and well. And what we do is none of anybody's business. So long as there can be no conflict of interest because I'm repaying him. And here you go. As you can see, yes, We ordered airline tickets together because that's usually what you do when you buy a group of airline tickets. Or, yes, you have to pay for a cruise together. I know this. Because when you book a cabin, they want all the money, not just your half and hold the phone while I give you the other person. Yeah, that's not how it works. So, I don't know. It'll be interesting to watch all of this play out and we will know so much more. Again, January 31st with another hearing in the divorce case and then February 2nd or by February 2nd, when Fonnie Willis has to answer to these charges. And I reiterate, is this a bad look? Absolutely. Error in judgment? Huge. But if she can prove she repaid Nathan Wade, then there's nothing to talk about in the divorce case anymore. And with regards to this belief that there's a conflict of interest in the Trump case. And by the way, let me point this out. It was Joycelyn Wade's attorney, Andrea Dyer-Hastings, who, again, pushed back on Fonnie's claim that she made through her filing last week, that it was Joycelyn who had the extramarital affair saying, we have questions. I want to know about how he, Nathan Wade, has been spending his money. I have reason to believe he's been spending it on another woman. That's my client's money. Joycelyn Wade's attorney, Andre Dyer Hastings, again saying, we're not seeking her deposition as the district attorney of Fulton County. We're seeking her deposition in her individual capacity as the alleged paramour of my client's Husband. Continuing, I'm sure it's inconvenient. It's inconvenient for all of us. However, I have questions, and she needs to answer them. Again, more to learn on that January 31st. We're back on the America One Radio app, AmericaOneRadio.com, or wherever you podcast. This is the Ron Show on America One Radio. On the 51st anniversary of the Roe v. Wade decision, codifying abortion rights throughout the United States, there are ceremonies taking place all over the place. However, because of the Dobbs decision. The most recent abortion decision by the Supreme Court, where uh, precedent wasn't obviously uh, all that important to, I can think of at least three justices who swore that precedent did matter and then adjudicated differently once on the bench. Now, anyway, to, today, noting the 51st anniversary of the Roe v. Wade decision is more about galvanizing those who are pro-choice in an election season where It's hard to say that abortion's on the ballot unless somehow liberals can get 60 votes in the U.S. Senate and control of the House and maintain the White House. So while the Biden-Harris administration can only do so much to help down-ballot candidates, in fact, I think the way this election cycle is setting up, it may actually work the other way around. Vice President Kamala Harris was, in fact, in Wisconsin, a swing state, Uh, making a campaign visit today where she gave some remarks on today's 51st anniversary.
2: Freedom, I believe, is fundamental to the promise of America. Freedom of speech, freedom of worship, freedom of assembly, the freedom to vote. In America, freedom is not to be given. It is not to be bestowed. It is ours by right, (laughs) by right. And that includes the freedom to make decisions about one's own body, not the government telling you what to do. 51 years ago today, in the case of Roe v. Wade, the United States Supreme Court recognized the fundamental constitutional right to reproductive freedom. And for nearly half a century, Americans relied on the freedoms protected by Roe. However, 19 months ago, the highest court in our land, the court of Thurgood and RBG, took a constitutional right from the people of America, from the women of America. And now, on the 51st anniversary of Roe, we speak of it in the past tense. In the last 19 months, in states across our nation, extremists have proposed and passed laws that criminalize doctors and punish women. Laws that threaten doctors and nurses with prison time, even for life, simply for providing health care. Laws that in some states make no exception even for rape and incest. Now, many of you know I started my career as a prosecutor, specializing in crimes against women and children. What you may not know is one of the reasons why. So when I was in high school, I learned that one of my best friends was being molested by her stepfather. And so I said to her, you gotta come stay with us. I called my mother and my mother said, of course she should. And she did. So the idea that someone who survives a crime that is violence to their body, a violation to their body and then would not have the authority to decide what happens to their body next that's immoral. It's immoral. That's right. And let us all agree, one does not have to abandon their faith or deeply held beliefs to agree the government should not be telling her what to do with her body. Chooses, she will consult her pastor, her priest, her rabbi, her imam, but not the government telling her what to do. This is, in fact, a health care crisis. And there is nothing about this that is hypothetical. Today in America, one in three women of reproductive age live in a state with an abortion ban. One in three. And let us understand what that really means for people across our nation. Let us understand the horrific reality that women are facing every single day since Roe was overturned. I have met women who have had miscarriages in toilets because they were refused care. I met a woman who went to the emergency room during a miscarriage and was turned away because the doctors were afraid they'd be thrown in jail for giving care. And it was only when she developed sepsis that they gave her the care she needed. We know that the majority of women who have abortions are mothers. If they live in a state with an abortion ban and they need to travel to receive care, God help her if she does not have paid leave or affordable child care. God help them if they don't have the savings to buy a bus, a train, or a plane ticket, or to book a hotel room. And while these extremists say they are motivated by the health and well-being of women and children, in reality, they ignore the crisis of maternal mortality. The top 10 states with the highest rates of maternal mortality all have abortion bans. The hypocrisy abounds. And let us be clear about what they're up to. These extremists want to roll back the clock to a time before women were treated as full citizens. Wisconsin to the 1800s. Just look at what happened here in this beautiful state of Wisconsin. After Roe was dismantled, extremists evoked a law from 1849 to stop abortion in this state. 1849. Before women could vote. Before women could hold elected office before many women could even own property. In a state whose motto is forward, (laughs) these extremists are trying to take us backward. Well, we're not having that. We're not having that. And just look at what the fallout has been the reproductive care clinics across the state that had to close. The women that hospitals had to turn away. Women like Megan. So Megan learned she was pregnant early last year. A few months later, she and her husband, John, went to their doctor for a routine ultrasound. And it revealed devastating news for them. The fetus had a severe genetic disorder, and Megan's pregnancy threatened her life. But because of that 1849 law, Megan's doctor could not provide a life-saving abortion unless he found two other physicians to sign off. He called doctor after doctor here in Wisconsin, but none were willing to risk going to prison. Ultimately, Megan had to go to Minnesota to receive care. She had to leave the state where she calls home to save her life. Thankfully, late last year, a judge declared that this 1849 law did not apply to abortion, and some clinics in Wisconsin have since reopened. But that does not undo... That does not undo or heal the incredible pain that women like Megan have endured. Megan and her husband John are here with us today and in front of all the friends, let us applaud them for their courage. And I thank them for the time that I had with them today. Can we please applaud them? I mention them because I think it's very important to understand the courage it takes to share those kinds of stories. And the reality of what is happening in real time across our country is that for every story we hear, there are so many that we do not hear about. Today, an untold number of women are silently suffering. Women who are being subjected to profound judgment. Women who are being made to feel as though they did something wrong. As though they should be embarrassed. Being made to feel as though they are alone. And to those women, I say... We see you, and we are listening, and we see your incredible strength, and we are here with you. And so as we face this crisis, as we are clear eyed about the harm, let us also understand who is responsible, shall we? (laughs) The former president handpicked three Supreme Court justices because he intended for them to overturn Roe. He intended for them to take your freedoms. And it is a decision he brags about. Yes, he does. A couple weeks ago, he said that for years, quote, they were trying to get Roe v. Wade terminated, but he said, quote, I did it, and I'm proud to have done it. Had no women to be prosecuted. Proud, proud, proud that women across our nation are suffering. Proud that women have been robbed of a fundamental freedom? Proud that doctors could be thrown in prison for caring for their patients? That young women today have fewer rights than their mothers and grandmothers? How dare he? And the extremists are not done. This afternoon, in the Wisconsin legislature, extremists will hold a hearing on a new bill that would ban abortion in this state, with no exception for rape and incest. And in the United States Congress, extremists are trying to pass a national abortion ban to outlaw abortion in every single state. But what they need to know is that if Congress passes a national abortion ban, President Joe Biden will veto it. Yes, he will. Because here's the deal about all of us. We trust women. We trust women to make decisions about their own bodies. We trust women to know what is in their own best interest. And women trust us to fight, to protect their most fundamental freedoms. And it is going to take all of us. It is going to take all of us. Joe Biden and I are fighting in court to protect women's access to medication and emergency care. We strengthened the patient privacy protection so that medical records stay between a woman and her doctor. And we are protecting the right of women to travel for abortion care. But the bottom line is, to truly protect reproductive freedoms, we must Restore the protections of Roe. Because, you see, what the United States Supreme Court took, Congress can put back in place. So we need a majority of leaders in Congress who simply agree, here's the thing, simply agree that the government should not be making those personal decisions for folks. And when Congress passes a law that puts back the protections of Roe, Joe Biden will sign it. So I'll close with this. It's gonna take all of us to get us to that place everybody here and momentum is on our side. We are winning. Since Roe was overturned every time reproductive freedom has been on the ballot the people of America have voted for freedom from Kansas to California to Kentucky in Michigan, Montana, Vermont, and Ohio, the people of America have voted for freedom and not by a little, by overwhelming margins. Proving also this is not a partisan issue. Tens of millions of Americans in red states and blue including here in Wisconsin, marched to the polls in defense of fundamental freedoms. So I say, the voice of the people has been heard, and it will be heard. And then I finally ask, today, Wisconsin, are you ready to make your voices heard? and when we fight we win god bless you god bless the united states of america
0: vice president kamala harris today in wisconsin on the 51st anniversary of the roe v wade supreme court decision thrusting abortion back onto the spotlights as we get ramped up in the 2024 presidential election cycle no matter who the gop nominee will be and it it appears it's going to be donald trump It's worth reminding Democratic voters, liberal left-leaning voters, who may not be enthusiastic, ecstatic about a redo of Biden-Harris in 2024, that issues like abortion are important issues to continue showing up for. There is this sense that we seem to forget just how calamitous the Trump presidency was for us as a country. But I'm not... Speaking to the country, I'm speaking mostly to those of you who listen to this show or this podcast because you think left of center. Think how calamitous our lack of enthusiasm was on election day 2016 and what that wrought us. Having ideological sit outs is just not something we have on the left in particular the luxury of taking advantage of. We just don't have that luxury. I'm unhappy with what's going on in Gaza. I'm unhappy with Benjamin Netanyahu, who, by the way, is not a Biden administration official and whom Biden has almost no control over other than maybe the purse. But money that's already there is already there. We can't take it back. So Biden's hands are really tied. I I get it. People want him to be more forceful. And I think behind the scenes, he has been. You have to understand from a diplomatic state of mind and point of view, and in an election year, there's just only so much that can be said in public or done policy-wise to influence Benjamin Netanyahu. To the younger voter! Yes, he hasn't done enough on student loans, but you do understand, because you're college-educated, that he can't just unilaterally do something and, by the way, actually has without pushback from the right or through the courts. And yet he's still trying. Billions more thrown at that just last week. Yes, inflation kicked all of our ass the last few years. First of all, didn't start with Joe Biden, but actually has cooled under Joe Biden's presidency. The recession everybody predicted the minute his hand hit the Bible, January 20th of 2021, has yet to come to fruition. I'm saying liberal, progressive, independent, moderate, liberal types. You're on a hike. You've got two paths to take to get back to your vehicle. And one is a swamp riddled with alligators. And the other is Is just a muddy bog that's going to get your shoes really dirty. You're not happy about taking either path, but which path are you going to take? The one that gets you back to your car safe and sound, right? Yeah, not an exciting decision to make on election day this year, but the decision at the end of the day, you have to make, right? Especially if you turn backwards and see the crazy orange skin guy with the crazy hair coming at you with a chainsaw. You can't turn back. Look forward. More on Show after this. The America One Radio app, AmericaOneRadio.com or wherever you podcast. Final segment of the Ron Show for Monday, and this is probably the shortest one I've ever done. I'll blame the vice president. Her speech went 18 minutes. And blind went another three. Now, I was just going to say, the American Revolution took eight years for us to gain our independence, to go from British colonies to the United States. And I'm saying, for those of us who are the majority, the center, center-left, left, progressive left, in order to wake up one day in a country where... You have bodily autonomy. You have environmental rights being addressed by responsible adults, Uh, voting rights extended to all, regardless of race, gender, addressing the wealth gap, sensible, rational, attainable immigration reform. It may take us eight years. And we start this year with our presidential elections and congressional seats. Two years from now, we've got Uh, a Senate seat up for grabs in Georgia and all the congressional seats two years after that the presidential again with all the congressional seats and our other Senate seat and then two years after that you've got congressional seats again two years after that another president it may take an eight year cycle or ten years at most for a real revolution we don't need muskets or guns we just need to show up as the majority that we are even if you don't like the names atop the ticket I don't like dental checkups but they're good for my teeth and my overall health Anyway, that's it for The Ron Show. Back tomorrow, 5 to 6 p.m. on the One Radio app, AmericoneRadio.com, or wherever you podcast. Show notes at ronshowatl.com.